0: It's Friday, October 7th, I'm Pam Jones. Maryland's highest court has ruled that state election officials can begin counting mail-in ballots early. President Biden was in our state today where he made a stop at a Hagerstown auto plant. A recently released report finds victims of violent crime in Baltimore need better support services. Drug affordability, especially for the city's seniors, was the topic of a community forum with Mayor Scott and other lawmakers today. We'll have those stories and more from our news team coming up in headlines. Plus, in the race for Baltimore County's top job, the candidates show just how opposite their approach to governing will be. And we'll take you to an inclusive arts exhibit for those with often unrecognized special gifts opening in Hamden. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response, and the local news of the day made possible by GBMC Healthcare. The Court of Appeals, Maryland's highest court, has upheld lower court rulings that allow state election officials to begin counting mail-in ballots early. WIPR's Joel McCord has more.
1: The decision came just hours after lawyers for Delegate Dan Cox, the Republican nominee for governor, and the State Board of Elections argued their cases Friday morning. In its order, the court simply affirmed the decisions of a Montgomery County Circuit judge and the Court of Special Appeals that had rejected Cox's claims that early ballot counting was unconstitutional. It said it would give its reasons in an opinion to be published later. Earlier in the day, Cox had predicted victory. And so I'm very confident that the court is going to see those issues and uphold the constitutional process in Maryland so that regardless of the issue in the future, we don't have this continuing presidential concern. Cox hinted he might try and appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court if he lost, but it isn't clear what grounds there are to get into the federal system. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News.
0: President Biden was in Maryland today. He appeared at a Volvo factory in Hagerstown, driving home his pro-union message. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. Biden went on to praise U.S. Representative David Trone, who is in the most competitive congressional race in the state, against Republican Delegate Neil Parrott, who he beat by 20 points two years ago. Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby is praising President Biden's decision to pardon people convicted for simple possession of marijuana. In a statement today, Mosby says prosecuting marijuana possession has no public safety value and it disproportionately impacts communities of color. In 2019, Mosby announced that she would no longer prosecute simple marijuana possession as part of her mandate against harshly penalizing those for low-level nonviolent crimes. At a City Council Public Safety Oversight Committee hearing Thursday, stakeholders discussed the findings of a 2021 report assessing how victims of violent crimes are treated. The report from the Justice Department's National Public Safety Partnership to Fight Violent Crime outlines 21 ways victim services can be improved in Baltimore. WIPR's Bethany Raja has that story. Committee Chair Mark Conway
2: said victim services are a major part of Baltimore's public safety issue and victims deserve to be treated with respect.
3: We know that poor relations between police and communities can mean that you know, we breed fear and distrust.
2: Heather Warnkin, head of the University of Maryland's Center for Criminal Justice Reform and the report's lead author, said one of the keys to police reform is reconciliation. The real honest reckoning
4: about how much pain and harm, especially around uh, how these issues have been addressed to date, still exists in communities. The report was
2: released in August to give the city more time to study the findings. Drugs
0: don't work if people can't afford them. That's what Baltimore City Mayor Brandon Scott said today at a forum to discuss prescription drug affordability. We get more from Bethany Raja.
2: Baltimore resident Arthur Green has cancer. He's 70 and his monthly Social Security check isn't enough to cover both his expenses and hospital
1: bills. They're in the thousands. Um, I'm retired and I cannot make ends meet. So I'm looking for a solution.
2: Green's story isn't unusual. A large group gathered at the Wexler Center to learn about how the Inflation Reduction Act and the Maryland Board of Prescription Drug Affordability will help. Congressman John Sarbanes said the Reduction Act will cap out-of-pocket drug spending at $2,000 a year in 2025.
5: This is significant for thousands of people in the state of Maryland whose costs exceed that. The act
2: also caps insulin at $35 a month. Bethany Raja, WYPR
0: News. More than 800 students have new books through the Reading Opens the World initiative created by the American Federation of Teachers. The book giveaway is a national effort to address pandemic learning loss and promote literacy. WYPR's education reporter, Jakana Collier, with that story.
2: As dismissal time approached at Hampstead Hill Academy Thursday afternoon, excited students lined the hall to receive brand new books. Jason Labar is an English as a second language teacher who also works with students who need additional support in reading and literacy. He said access to books is an important part of recovery
3: from learning loss. The researchers have shown uh, that if children are constantly exposed to texts and books and literacy and words everywhere. That, that'll become a normal part of their lives, and they'll want to interact with that more and more, and so they'll understand the importance of it.
2: The event also honored National Hispanic Heritage
0: Month with books that highlighted Latinx culture and authors. Jaquina Collier, WYPR News. Outgoing Governor Larry Hogan is sounding more and more like a candidate for the 2024 presidential race. While in New Hampshire Thursday as part of his New England political swing, Hogan said that the majority of Americans today believe that our nation is way off track and heading in the wrong direction. Maryland is setting aside $95 million for grants that will address the digital divide. Local jurisdictions and Internet providers can apply for the grants. The Connect Maryland program will provide anywhere between $800,000 and $4.5 million per grant. Applications are now being accepted on the state government website. The Environmental Protection Agency and the Chesapeake Bay Foundation agree most of the states in the Bay watershed won't make their 2025 cleanup goals, according to a new report. And now there's talk of pushing that deadline back. WIPR's Joel McCord has more.
1: The Bay Foundation reports that states that collectively account for 90% of the Bay's pollution, Maryland, Virginia, and Pennsylvania, have made significant progress in upgrading wastewater treatment plants. But it's not enough to make up for pollution from farm fields and stormwater runoff. CBF President Hillary Harp-Fox said the states need to make key policy changes to catch up or potentially change the deadline.
4: But we believe it should be a stretch goal, measured in years and not decades.
1: Adam Ortiz, EPA's administrator for the region that includes the Bay States, has said he will ask the Chesapeake Executive Council to recalibrate the timeline when it meets next week in Washington. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News.
0: And a reminder that while many things have returned to normal, we are still in a pandemic. According to Maryland health officials, COVID 19 has accounted for 1.2 million infections in the state. Nearly 500 people are receiving hospital treatment for the virus. Montgomery County leads the state with over 224,000 cases. In the race for Baltimore County executive, Democratic incumbent Johnny Ileshefsky said he will build on his success. His Republican challenger, former Delegate Pat McDonough, is promising a scorched-earth policy of litigation and firings to counter what he says is Baltimore County's decline. WIPR's John Lee reports the candidates made clear their polar opposite ideologies at a forum in Essex Tuesday night.
5: What to do about the city-owned, pollution-spewing Back River Wastewater Treatment Plant serves as a microcosm of this campaign. The state, for now, has taken over the running of the plant, which is located in the county. Republican Pat McDonough says if elected, he'll sue the city to give either the state or a regional authority permanent control of Back River.
1: This is an administration that is polluting our water in Baltimore County. Litigation. Litigation.
5: But Oshesky says legal action would be counterproductive.
3: Sure. We can file a lawsuit and be fighting for this for the next 20 years, and nothing's going to change. Or we can talk about the problem, put it on the table, bring people in, and actually fix what's in front of us. That's what I propose to do in the years ahead.
5: Oshesky says the way back River is run, is governed by state law, and needs to be changed, but he did not offer a specific way to accomplish that. McDonough promised major changes on a laundry list of issues while Ushefsky defended his record. Take affordable housing. McDonough promised to sue to get the county out from under a legal settlement with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development in which the county agreed to build 1,000 affordable homes by 2027.
1: We are going after that judicial dictate and knock it out. Housing should be under the control of the people of Baltimore County, not a judge.
5: Oshevsky has defended the agreement as being both a moral and legal obligation, following decades of county housing policies discriminating against black residents and people with disabilities. McDonough claims Oshevsky is soft on crime. he says he would fire Oshevsky's hand-picked police chief, Melissa Hyatt and attempt to overturn police reforms Oshevsky and the county council approved two years ago. Oshevsky disputed the soft on crime moniker, and McDonough's tough on crime stance gave the incumbent an opening. Oshevsky needled the Republican for being charged with a misdemeanor earlier this year for tearing down the campaign sign of one of his opponents during the GOP primary.
3: It's hard to profess that you are going to keep communities safe and be a leader on law enforcement when you yourself don't follow the law. When you have an opponent have to file criminal charges against you.
5: McDonough pointed out the charge was dropped and added that Oshevsky bringing it up is a sign of desperation. This forum was held in Essex on Baltimore County's east side. It's considered a Republican stronghold. And several people who attended afterwards echoed Tom Reiner, who lives in nearby Dundalk.
1: Got a lot of problems, and I'm hoping PAC can clear them up. I know Johnny hasn't. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to give everybody a chance, you know, but... He's done a bad job.
5: But D. Edward Vogel, a co-owner of Benji's Drive-In Theater in Middle River, says he's a Republican, but Oshevsky helped him keep his business open during the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: I appreciate Pat McDonough. I have supported him all my life. Um, Johnny O, though, in the last four years has done, you know, wonderful things. This is why you don't vote early. These are the reasons you do not vote early. You wait until and make a good decision at the end.
5: This may be the first and last county executive public forum. McDonough declined an invitation from the League of Women Voters to debate Oshevsky. John Lee, WIPR News.
0: In Baltimore's Hamden neighborhood, Make Studio has created an inclusive space for artists with disabilities. There, they create poignant and socially conscious work. They've prepared an exhibition that's a culmination of this effort and it opened today. Mickey Hellerbach has more.
3: In 2010, Programming Director Jill Schleiber and a few colleagues discovered a group of artists in Baltimore's visual art community that needed a home.
4: My colleagues and I were acquainted with a number of artists with disabilities here in Baltimore who were making a lot of artwork at home after they completed school. So they were really motivated, identified as artists, and didn't really have a studio to call their own to keep creating their work and improving upon that work and then to um, receive attention for it, attention that they deserve.
3: Jill and her colleagues created Make Studio over 10 years ago. Along their journey, they have advanced the mission from accessibility to inclusion, their focus was heightened even more during the pandemic.
4: We've seen a push towards inclusion in spaces, which is amazing. However, oftentimes those are premised on an accessibility model that might cause someone with a disability to feel compelled to assimilate or to change their behavior in order to conform to the prevailing space, which is a non-disabled perspective. I think we were particularly cognizant of all that has happened over the past couple of years. And so with this year's exhibition, We're thinking about how through the often painful journey, we also had really bright moments where the increased interest in virtual access and having all events go virtual created a true leveling of the playing field. In
3: addition to moving their exhibitions to a hybrid of virtual and in-person, the last few years have also prompted Make Studio to provide spaces for artists to introduce social justice issues into their work. That freedom has made a huge impact on Tyrone Whedon. He shared with me a statement he wrote about his illustration inspired by the Stop AAPI hate movement. I've been thinking about Asian friends that I work with
0: from the studio to my job. I want to make this artwork to give a positive message and spread love to my Asian brothers and sisters. My artwork has 11 Asian American people are wearing face masks that has powerful message on it. The
3: friends at the studio he mentioned have been an essential part of the artist community who helped Tyrone form a thriving space for him to create.
4: It's kind of easy for open
0: up more and spend time with the studio and start making friends because I relate about what they're going through. They remind me of myself. The fifth installment of Make
3: Studio's exhibition called Cordially Invited will feature artworks created in innovative U.S. and international studios that serve artists with disabilities. As Make Studios has progressed, so has its mission to help create a web of connection. Over in the main gallery, Tony Brunswick, the executive director of Art Enables DC, talks about the necessity of this connection. Part of what's exciting about this is just to be in the same space as another studio and doing this together. I think so often it can feel like we're existing on islands, you know, trying to figure out the same questions, trying to problem solve the same challenges, trying to create the same types of opportunities. Opportunities. This year, about six to seven D.C. artists will be featured and cordially invited, including artist Ray Lewis in his depiction of an aquatic scene of a turtle underwater. Centering the artist's craft is the resounding mission at Make Studio, and each local artist has their own workstation. Tyrone uses his space to express feelings of grief, appreciation, conflicting thoughts, and more. I have a creative process, and that's the only way I had to um, be myself, and don't care what other people think. Cordially Invited opens online and in studio at Schwing Art Center in Hamden this Friday, October 7th. For WYPR, I'm Mickey Hellerback.
0: The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Many thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, Shekinah Collier, John Lee, Scott Mascioni, Joe McCord, Kristen Mossbrucker, and Bethany Raja. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. If you have a scoop or suggestion for this podcast, my social media hangout is Twitter at That's Pam Jones. Remember to be courageous and stay curious. I'm Pam Jones. Thanks for listening.